This is the Federated Farmers Podcast, where Kiwi farmers stay up to date with the latest news and views shaping the future of farming in New Zealand. Tune in every fortnight as we take a deep dive into the big issues. I'm your host, Ben Chapman-Smith. Let's get into it. Farmers have enough on their plates right now without having to worry about whether they're getting a fair deal from their bank. Unfortunately, that's exactly what's happening. Our latest banking survey shows a record high number of farmers are feeling under undue pressure from their banks, and farmer satisfaction is at a record low. So why are farmers feeling this way? Who's to blame? And what are we going to do about it? Well, joining me today to shed some light on the matter are Richard McIntyre, Federated Farmers National Board Member, and Scott Wishart, one of the founders and a director of New Zealand Agri Brokers. Richard and Scott, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Ben. Not a problem. Hey, Richard, let's get started with you. Federated farmers have been pretty vocal in the last year or so about banking issues. What's going on and why are farmers feeling so dissatisfied with the banks? So over the last couple of years, obviously interest rates have gone up dramatically from where they were during the intense period of COVID, where they dropped a lot. When you combine that with the high levels of inflation that we have seen, it's put a lot of farmers under a lot of financial pressure. And they're also seeing quite big differences between the rates that banks are advertising for residential borrowers and the rates that banks are charging them as well. And they are frustrated by that, given the amount of pressure that it's put them under. So this dissatisfaction and feeling under undue pressure, is it a new thing or you know, farmers felt like this before in our surveys? I think it's been building over time. Say 20 years back, you know, banks used to basically do budgets for farmers and there wasn't a huge amount of requirement in that respect. And then post the financial crisis, banks stopped doing budgets for farmers and expected them to start doing them themselves. Then if you look eight or so years ago, the banks decided that they were less comfortable with farmers paying interest only while they were expanding and wanted principal repayments to be built in. The banks seem to be asking for more and more from farmers, hence the additional feelings of pressure that have been building over time. And then when you put on top of that, the fact that farmers are going through a really hard time at the moment and we've got banks using risk weightings on farmers. So as they begin to struggle more, their interest rates that they're paying is going up. In many ways, it seems counterintuitive just when the farmers are really needing some help because they're struggling under the burden of high interest costs. Their interest costs are going up even further. There'll be a few non-farmers who would listen to this and think, quit your moaning, the entire country's dealing with high interest rates and high inflation, not just farmers. What would you say to them? Well, look, they're right. We are all dealing with high inflation and high interest rates. The difference here is that nationally we've been dealing with roughly 7% inflation year on year. In terms of on-farm inflation, we've been 13 to 17% during that time. In terms of the interest rates, yes, interest rates have gone up for both you know, urban and rural, but rural still sits you know, roughly 1.5%, sometimes 2% more than urban. Also, the amount of money we're talking is significantly more as well, which puts far more pressure on that. And then there's the risk weighting side of things that I was talking about as well. If you live in town and you've got a mortgage and your income reduces for some reason or your financial circumstances change, the bank doesn't actually increase your interest rate as a result of it. But that's what does happen for rural businesses. Yeah, we're going to come back to interest rates in a little bit, you know, what the explanation is there. Scott, tell us a bit about your background and what NZAB does. 
Yeah, thanks, Ben. My background, I'm an ex-rural banker, 20 years in the agri-finance industry now, and the last seven of that as one of the founders of NZAB. And I guess NZAB was set up in response to a number of the factors that we're actually talking about today. You know, the banking industry has become a lot more highly regulated, and we've definitely seen over time, as Richard's already alluded to, that the onus of managing that loan in terms of the budgeting and the process has definitely shifted from the bank back to the farmer. And I guess, you know, we see our role as being there to support the farmers who we actually think are some of the best in the world at doing what they do, but actually how do we make sure that they're well supported and they have a clear plan that the bank understands and therefore more likely to get the best terms, conditions and ultimately interest rates that are actually available out there. What are some of the other changes that you've seen over the years, Scott, in the way that the banks operate with farmers and what are you observing in the market right now? I definitely think that the biggest change that I've seen in the last 20 years has been, you know, the expectation that farmers own their own strategy and their credit risk a lot more. When I started out as a graduate in the early 2000s, the DD required was usually to tell the bank that you wanted to buy the farm next door and whereas the banker had to work it out. And that's clearly changed. The expectation is now that you're front up with a carefully considered plan. You know all the risks, all the areas that things could go wrong. And, you know, some of that's challenging for farmers because many farmers we're in this industry because we love what we do on a day-to-day, not because we want to spend time in the office thinking about risk and these other things that used to get handled for us. So, you know, and they've already got so much coming at them in terms of other regulation, both on and off farm and volatile commodities and input prices. So I definitely think that, you know, what we're observing in the market at the moment is that you really can group farmers into two groups, those that do have a clear strategy or have people around them to help them do that, and those that don't. That has been the biggest change, but it's also the biggest opportunity for farmers, I think. Richard, just before the election last year, Federated Farmers came out quite strongly calling for an independent inquiry into rural banking. Who are we actually calling on to make that happen and what would the inquiry look like? So the inquiry could be the Commerce Commission, similar to the current inquiry that they're doing into personal banking. The parameters or the terms of reference would be quite tight with that, or there's the ability to do a select committee inquiry. So that would often sit with the Finance and Expenditure Select Committee, but given the real nature of what we're asking for, it could also go to the Primary Production Select Committee. So this would be far more open and transparent, and essentially the select committees could call banks, the Reserve Bank, Federated Farmers into basically answer questions and give evidence and there'd also be the ability to and this is quite important to me the ability for individual farmers to actually come and submit on the process and be heard by the select committee as well so that we can understand their stories and their perspectives why do you think that part of it's so important to hear from those individual farmers It's those individual farmers who are feeling stressed and they're the ones that are asking for change. They're the ones that ring me on a regular basis, really, really worried about where things are going. Since we started making a little bit of noise about this, I've had people stop me at most farmer meetings I go to and say, hey, Richard, thank you so much for the light that you're shedding on this and for what you're saying in the media here. It makes us feel so much better knowing that there's someone who gets it and is calling it out. So there's a lot of emotion there and there's a lot of desire to to have their voices heard and obviously try and find an acceptable solution to it. Scott, can you explain why rural banking isn't part of the current study that the Commerce Commission's doing? I don't have any formal insight, but I guess my take on it is that, you know, the government has a clear role to support those who aren't sophisticated enough to protect themselves, I suppose, for want of a better phrase. I know it's a pretty generous statement, but 
you know, a borrower taking out a mortgage on a home for the first time tends to know a lot less about financial products in the market that they're in than a business owner. And I guess fundamentally that the government views farmers as business owners. Many of us may not feel that way day in, day out, but I think that's the lens that they put over it. So I guess with business borrowers, there's an expectation that market dynamics will ensure that things are fair and reasonable for borrowers, that, you know, they understand the market well enough that they can make change in terms of their debt provider if things don't work out or at the very least understand the risk that they're taking on. I think a lot of the reason that farmers feel really uncertain about whether or not rates are too high is because of the lack of transparency around what actually drives that rate that they've ended up with. And that's a tough one to navigate because all businesses are different. And I think that the responsibility for that actually sits both with the banks, but also to some extent with the borrowers themselves, because they need to understand the dynamics and actually understand the strategy and whether or not the interest rates you've got now actually fairly represent the risk that you present. Then, you know, how do you kind of know whether you should be up, down, left or right, unless you know where you stand currently? You know, and I get that that's a real challenge, but I do believe that that transparency in the process is critical. Following on from that, you know, is there an explanation for why farm interest rates are higher than for residential home loans, or is that why we need an inquiry? I think home mortgage borrowers are treated as a class, like the industry's large enough and diverse enough, and there's enough homes and people that you can essentially treat the risk as one bucket of risk. So everybody gets an interest rate, the defaults are manageable, houses are easier to sell if things go wrong because there's a lot more buyers on the other side. We all heard about the challenges around farm sales at various parts of the cycle. You know, I guess when you get into a smaller market that's less liquid, where there's a lot more going on, it tends to be more appropriate to treat borrowers as individuals rather than as a type of borrower. And I guess the flip side to Richard's comment about the banks don't get harder on someone who has an income drop. You know, farmers have the opportunity to actually pay less when their businesses get stronger. Again, the transparency or the confidence to actually ask the question and manage that process is actually the gap that I see right now to actually make sure you get what you deserve because I think that's the flip side. I mean, on one hand, if you feel like you're treated worse than the average, you'd like to get to the average, but if you're better than the average, you're not going to want to downgrade to the average. So I think that the approach of being individualistic about it is pretty important. So you're saying there's a bit of responsibility there and some room to move for farmers to actually negotiate with the banks more than they are currently? Absolutely. Richard, presumably you've raised these issues with the Reserve Bank and with rural lenders themselves. What do they have to say about it? Do they accept that there's an issue and or take any responsibility for it? They all accept that there's a difference in interest rates between residential and rural. They both quietly point the finger at the other would be the best way of explaining it. So the Reserve Bank says that they are happy with the regulation that they currently have and they believe that it's fit for purpose. And they think that any additional interest that farmers are paying is either acceptable or the result of the risk weightings that the bank set. The banks say that the difference is down to Reserve Bank regulation and it you know, realistically could or should be looked at because they have set risk weightings that the banks must use as a minimum, is my understanding, and that dates back, I think it's 10 or 15 years. They've also just put in reserve requirements as well in order to allow the financial system to withstand a 1 in 200 year financial shock. That, as a result, has made rural lending more expensive. So there is a significant regulation component to this that needs to be dealt with as well. And just to add to you know what Scott said, we have talked to the bank a lot about whether or not farmers actually do understand what the low-hanging fruit is in terms of things that they could do to put themselves into a better risk weighting and get their margin over base a little bit lower because so often farmers plain don't understand that. There are some simple non-financial things that farmers can often do to drop their interest rate, you know, providing a budget 
budget and regularly updating it being one of those things. If you don't know how to do it, find someone to help you do it, but start doing it to give the bank some confidence to lend you the money at a lower interest rate. Now might be a good time as well just to talk about the farm debt mediation scheme or any other services like that that are available to farmers. Yeah, sure. Look, this is a great thing that was bought in, I think it's three or four years ago now, that I was reasonably involved in the consultation on. It's a great scheme that is designed to help farmers that are struggling a little bit from a debt point of view to basically negotiate a decent way forwards with their lender in order to get the best outcome. So in some cases, that will be a managed exit. That would be better than the alternative of the bank foreclosing on them. In other cases, it's looking to find a different solution to keep the business running, whereby that's sort of introducing some new money or selling off the back paddock or changing the farm system slightly, but just finding a way forwards that's acceptable to the bank to allow, I guess, the best outcome. Because I think we all know once things get a little bit stressed, often people stop talking. And often that just some things getting worse and worse and worse, whereas what we really need to do is bring people together in a facilitated way to find a good way forwards. And that's what farm debt mediation does. Hey, Scott, just coming back to that idea of who's responsible here, do you think the responsibility sits with the banks, the Reserve Bank, or both? The simple answer is both. And I guess I want to pick up at the regulatory point that Richard raised before. I mean, the Reserve Bank's got a pretty clear mandate to protect the banks. They don't have a mandate to protect the farmers that sit underneath that. And so I think it's really important to understand that. You know, if you wanted a bit of an inquiry, that might be a good place to have a bit of a look because... There's no doubt that to protect the banks, you've got to increase the profit margins to make the banks safer. That profit comes from the underlying borrowers. So perversely, by increasing the cost of capital that the banks have to hold, they're actually taking profit out of the very businesses that we are focused on protecting. So you know, there are a number of farmers this year that are back to paying interest only where they could have been paying principal and tax if the regulatory levers were where they were five years ago in terms of the amount of capital the banks were holding. So I definitely think that's an area that needs some focus because there's kind of two ways to minimise risk to an industry, isn't there? There's actually to help reduce the debt in the industry and the underlying borrower's risk so that it is lower risk. Or you ram the capital up, which now means that the banks have to put higher stress test rates in, which actually makes them all look worse, which means they're going to take more profit out of them. And I suspect there's a bit of that going on. So I definitely think the RBNZ's 100% following its mandate, got no problem with that. But it's just the point of reference or the centre of reference is different to how we see it. You know, we're focused on the farmer. So I think that's the first point. The banks themselves, I actually think that's a relatively straightforward one to deal with. And I know I'm sitting here in a reasonably privileged position to say that, but we do this day in and day out where we spend the time to actually package up the strategy and the risk and the drivers of a farmer's business. And then we sit down with the banks and we have a really good, honest conversation about it. And in many cases, the banks themselves don't actually understand how the risk actually sits. They put a bit of extra fudge margin on top of it just to protect themselves. And when you have a conversation about what's actually fair and reasonable, we do find that we actually get some relatively good traction on improving those margins. You know, the banks will move to support good businesses when they're presented with the facts. They do want to do that. I do think that that's the other angle to look at. What else would you like to see an inquiry look at, Scott? If we were going to have a look at anything in rural banking, it would really come down to, you know, how well positioned are farmers to actually negotiate and deal with the banks and what can we do to further support them in those processes. I do think a lot of it comes down to farmers recognising that they are businesses and business owners fundamentally and they have to take the lead on certain things that improve and enhance their business and there are people out there that will help them do that. So it's a little bit of buy beware in that regard. But certainly the impact of regulation, like it's great and noble to have a banking sector that is safe and functional 
but at what cost? You know, there's got to be a balance there. You know, I'd far rather see instead of 60, 70, 80 basis point increases in interest rate to cover the extra regulatory cost, I'd rather see that go into principal reduction and tax to support New Zealand economy. And I think that would achieve the same objective in terms of de-risking the portfolio. So that's fundamentally where we see it as a business. You know, a bit of balance on that side, but also face into it. I think that, you know, farmers often perform more strongly when they're confident and the lack of confidence usually comes from a lack of control of the things that are around them. And I think finance is clearly one of those things where you perceive you don't have control and so you become less confident about whether or not you're getting a good deal. And actually, it's amazing how often you get through with farmers and you realise that actually the package they've got is actually pretty reasonable and in some cases better than anybody else you see, but there's still the same level of uncertainty just because of that lack of transparency. I think whatever you can do to gain that transparency around you is really crucial. Yeah, such interesting insights. Thanks, Scott. Richard, is there anything you'd like to add to that in terms of what you'd like to see out of an inquiry? Everything Scott said makes complete sense. I'd love for farmers to come away with a good understanding of what's driving their interest rates and understand whether or not it's fair and reasonable and, like I said, what could be changed in order to make it more fair or more reasonable, I suppose. But then just expanding on a little bit and looking at the provision of rural banking services, essentially, because we've seen a lot of branch closures over the last wee while in rural centres. We also know that a lot of more remote farmers do struggle with connectivity. So, you know, internet banking, which has been the go-to for everyone with good connectivity, is a real struggle for more remote farmers and actually getting into their local bank has been a better way of doing business. Also, farmers are real relationship people. They like dealing with one person, getting to know them, trusting them and forming a good business relationship. And we've seen a lot of banks move away from that in the last wee while and sort of go to more of a call centre type approach. And farmers have often lost that bank manager that they knew and understood their business and it's been replaced with some 20-year-old graduate or a call centre in some cases. A lot of the farmers that call me that are stressed, I say, well, okay, well, how long have you been with your bank manager? Oh, look, I don't even know who it is now. So a little bit of a look into all of that and how those interactions sort to work and see what can be done to actually make banking services in general for rural people better. Richard, where do we go from here? How do we go from talking about an inquiry to making it happen? Pre-election, we wrote to and talked to all of the parties saying what we're after, explaining the situation, you know, as we've just explained it on this podcast. Essentially, we had broad support for an inquiry into rural banking to the point where Damien O'Connor told us that it should have been done years ago, but we hadn't asked for it and told us off for that. So obviously, the Labour Party is in full support and those that have formed government certainly weren't against it, although it's been a matter of trying to get it far enough up their to-do list to actually get onto it. We have had some really good discussions with the chair of the primary Production Select Committee, Mark Cameron, on the possibility of them actually picking it up and running with it. And I'm certainly hopeful that can happen. So Mark, if you're listening, let's get this underway. It would be great to sort it and give rural businesses and rural families some certainty about the fairness of the interest rates they're paying and the services that they're getting. Thanks, Richard. Hey, guys, we'll wrap it up there. Have you got any final thoughts you'd like to share? I think from my perspective, Ben, I just think there are a lot of opportunities for farmers out there to get what they deserve in this process. And, you know, if you're feeling uncertain about the quality of your business and how that should be treated by the bank, then start asking some questions. Most bankers I've dealt with are more than happy to explain it. Yes, there's often different levels of ability in articulating it really clearly, but start the process. If we as an industry can turn up and we have a really clear understanding of our risk, really clear understanding of our strategy, 
We have environmentally strong businesses that are future ready and we have a banking sector that's not supporting us with all that evidence, then I think we've got something to push on. But I think when we're sitting here with none of the facts in our own backyards actually really clear, I feel like we risk losing control of the narrative, particularly amongst those who don't understand farming. So I just would encourage us all to start within and get yourselves ready. And then when we have evidence of the fact that if things aren't working, then we can at least take a fact-based approach to it. Good stuff. Richard? Completely agree. It still does my head in how many farmers don't do budgets. Daunting for some, completely get it, but it's also relatively straightforward once you learn how to do it and you can easily get help to do it. And that is one thing that, you know, if I was ever lending someone money, I'd want to know that they could repay it or that their business was financially solvent enough in order to meet those debts. Banks are obviously no different. So the idea of actually learning some of those things that you could do that are relatively easy and then getting on and doing them, you know, is incredibly important. So you completely agree with what Scott's been saying. I'd also add, I was once one of those 20-year-old graduates, and some of us do come good. I'm not saying I did, but some do. But I think most people in rural banking and the rural bankers themselves were farm kids who have come off the farm and into the industry, usually through Lincoln and Massey. So, you know, try to engage your banker in a way that is collaborative because most of us joined this industry to learn a bit about it, to add value to it, not toe the party line necessarily. So, This is never a banker issue. Sometimes the settings are wrong and the bankers don't have the tools in the toolbox they need to get the job done. But don't make it about the banker. Try and keep them on side because that's your best pathway to success. Hey guys, thank you so much. That was an excellent conversation. Thank you for your insights. Thanks Scott and Richard. Thanks Ben. Not a problem Ben. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you've enjoyed it and you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the Federated Farmers Podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you get notified when our new episodes drop. And if you have any feedback or podcast suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line, podcast at fedfarm.org.nz. That's podcast at fedfarm.org.nz. Catch you next time.